Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Age is just a number, right? Much is made in the modern world that revolves around our age. Are we too young? Are we too old for a certain outfit or a job? And can we defy our age with new skincare products and exercise regimes? I met today's guest, Dr. Catherine Rickwood, on the speaking circuit some three or four years ago. She's a thought leader and the subject matter expert on that topic of aging. She has a heap of degrees, such as a master's in commerce and marketing, a diploma in management, and a PhD from the University of Sydney, which she acquired at the youthful age of 48. Her doctoral studies sparked a curiosity about retirement that led to her TEDx talk entitled Retirement is redundant. Catherine is a regular speaker and panel participant at industry conferences, workshops, and professional development days, and a sought after advisor and commentator on this topic of aging. She has served as an advisor on Are You OK? A judge for Australian Marketing Institute Awards, been an advisory board member for the Macquarie University Global MBA, and a mentor for the University of Sydney's Master of Management program ranked respectively number two and number one in their class in Australia. She also wrote and delivered the capstone unit, Be Curious, for the online global MBA. Dr. Rickwood believes that being curious about how we live, work and play at any age and any life stage is essential. She considers the idea of educate, work, retire as an outdated life plan, a useless paradigm given that we are now going to live so long. She says it's time to get creative about how we use the extra 20 plus healthy years that we have been given, using those years throughout our life rather than saving them up until our 60s. Catherine also suggests that gap years are something we can embrace at any age. They do not need to be the sole possession of school leavers. She specializes in working with corporates to enhance their business strategies and adapting them to the changing age structure of our population. And today, I'm delighted to have her on the podcast discussing the politics of age. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Amber. So let's go back into your early uh, childhood dreams. Did you ever think you'd end up doing anything remotely like what you do now or did you have something you really wanted to pursue? I definitely didn't think that I'd be doing something like I'm doing now. What I did want to do is what I did want to become was a doctor, a medical doctor. That was actually really informed by a serious illness I had when I was 10 and I was in hospital and seriously ill for about three and a half months on the brink of life and death, really. And so I came out of that and thought, that's what I want to do. Anyway, circumstances were such that I didn't primarily because my recovery was long and that just impacted how I perceived myself and my relationship to the world. So I can't say that I was a particularly great teenager and I would never have got the ATAR required to be a medical doctor. But you interestingly still have doctor in your title today. So the PhD was maybe in the wings there somewhere. 
I did. I became another sort of doctor. So I definitely have not had a straight path to here. And in fact, when I left school, I talk about gap years. I got a degree in them because I had three of them before I first went to uni and got my first degree. So I'd say, no, it wasn't a straight path. Although by default, because of the way I've lived my life, I definitely have not done the educate, work, retire paradigm. Well, we don't, we'd sound like that's out of date anyway. And look, I want to play with this idea that, you know, there's that saying that age is just a number. Do you think that's true? And why and why not? Absolutely, it's a true. And I think if we reflect on our own lives or the people around us, we know young people with incredible maturity And we know older people who seem quite youthful. And we know older people who seem even older than their actual age, who, you know, have say things like, "Mm, I'm just too old for that now, when in fact, potentially there's no reason why they couldn't do things. And, you know, why is this not relevant? I think if we attach a way of being to any number, we limit our possibilities for how we might live life. And by not being thinking, I must do this at a particular age, it provides an opportunity to reinvent how we do this living and working and leisure time at any age. And, you know, today we're seeing things like side hustles, the gig economy, and particularly since COVID, flexible work, and all these are actually the groundwork for enabling us to shape our working life differently to the Jobs for Life or the PAYG wage earner approach, which to some extent can define what we think we should or shouldn't be doing at any particular age. The other thing is that life's long and young people today will probably live to 100 years old or more. So if we define ourselves by a number based on a paradigm that exists today that comes from a history of how life once was, then we once again limit the potential for what we could otherwise create or do with ourselves and our lives. Yes, there's a lot lot to, to think about when you put it that way. Having said that, though, look, there are still some, I guess, some prejudices when it comes to age. And I recently read an article saying that age 50 is the new 60 when it comes to the workforce and our participation rates, particularly in Australia. So how can we best overcome that disconnect between the fact that we're living longer, we probably want to and need to work longer, but also this idea of ageism because older workers seem to be getting younger. I mean, I must admit I'm, I'm heading towards that 50 mark and it's a little bit daunting. Look, there's two parts to this. One is what to do. How do you overcome the disconnect between the reality of longer lives and the stereotype and the cultural narrative that exists about what we should or shouldn't be doing at any given age. And then the other aspect of it is ageism, which can be that barrier, that wall that actually limits the opportunities and the possibilities for what we might like to do. Just speak to each one of those in turn. In the first instance, in terms of overcoming the disconnect, it's just fundamental to business. It's essential to the future of business. The population is ageing and, you know, it's not going to change. We can't solve it with a vaccination. We're not going to resolve for the fact that more and more people are living longer and our population is getting older. Therefore, where talent pools come from, how they're sourced, must occur from a wider range of age groups. The other reality is 
that the current and future customer is older than the customer of the past. So we need to better understand who our customers are, not based on a stereotype or an assumption about what we think people are doing at a particular age that comes from an historical uh, policy set at the end of the 1800s and early 1900s, but on the reality of what people are doing today, and that's quite diverse. The other thing is in terms of the disconnect is that in Australia we've relied a lot on migration to boost our skilled workforce, particularly, you know, with bringing younger people in. Well, that's not happening and who knows when that's going to start again. So it's actually a business imperative to address this issue of ageism and any stereotypes that might be held around that. And that starts at the top. It's something that should be on boardroom agendas or at least being discussed and addressed at C-suite level with policies and practices introduced that support the inclusion of older people in in the workforce. And, you know, it's just, you know, I can't emphasise enough just how important this is. It includes addressing age discrimination in recruitment, training and development practices and programs. Having said that, at the same time, it doesn't excuse each one of us from evaluating our own attitudes, beliefs and behaviour about ageing. That can be our own preconceived ideas about what we think we'll do with our own life or assumptions we make about others based on their age. And if we give that some thought, then who knows what we create and contribute to changing the narrative about ageing. Yes, I think we all do need to challenge, you know, what what we consider you know, older age to look like and what, what that brings with it. And I guess society does like to play off some of that generational division. And, you know, you always see articles about, you know, this is what boomers are like, this is what Gen X is like, this is what alphas are like or millennials. Do you think that sort of conversation and rhetoric is helpful or do we need to see some characteristics as more intergenerational, such as, you know, boomers can be tech-savvy and millennials can save money without the bank of mum and dad and, and can live without fancy brunches and smashed avocado to survive? I mean, I think some of this is sort of fueled by messages that are reinforced. And so how do we actually deal with that? Uh, look, frankly, any conversation that pits one group of people against another is unhelpful. It's analogous to placing different groups on opposite sides of a field as though each is facing the enemy and a battle will ensue. Yeah. We're not in a battle. That's a great analogy, actually. (laughs) In fact, in this form of discrimination, we're actually discriminating against our future selves, as Ashton Applewhite, an activist on ageing, says, because we will all get there eventually. And unless we change the landscape today, the options aren't going to shift for a younger person either. So, you know, there is not one generation more or less valuable than another. We're all equally valuable. And when it comes to work, I'd suggest that there are large enough similarities across all age groups about about what we want and need in our workplaces that the potential for intergenerational co-creation is unlimited. Who doesn't want flexible workplaces? Who doesn't want respect? Who doesn't want a culture that is inclusive of all people and enables each one of us to thrive and grow? We know organisations can shift and change quickly. We've seen it occur through COVID. Flexible workplaces are here to stay. And whilst we may want to return to the office for the social connections and incidental interactions, 
we've all discovered how much we enjoy the option to choose whether we work from home or in office and intergenerational workplaces and intentionally embracing older people into the workplace is an extension of this idea. It's about choice. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the biggest piece of information which I've taken from just watching your TED talk and I guess seeing you speak is the idea that we shouldn't retire. And I think I love that idea because I'm not keen to retire. I love using my brain. I love the connections and I love adding value to people's lives. But how realistic is that? Because our mental and physical well-being does tend to decline as we get older. So how, how do we sort of kind of reconcile that you know you might have some of the skills and abilities to to want to but you might physically and mentally not be able to work that 40 50 hour week anymore I mean what's your view on the retirement process it's about choice again it's really about choice and I'm hesitant about making pronouncements about what people should or shouldn't do for some a traditional retirement suits them and today we don't have a language or environment that truly supports an an alternative Unfortunately, retirement is in our dictionaries and it's deeply embedded in our psyches and cultural narratives. Is it relevant? I don't think so. Retirement is based on an historical policy that began in Germany at the end of the 1800s when lifespans weren't much greater than 65 years old. So, you know, the the retirement paradigm, as you know, we've said, really just isn't relevant. The problem is that stereotypes feed the idea that physical and cognitive decline are inevitable as we age. And when we're considered older at 50, that's a big problem. In terms of our bodies ageing, the reality is that we're fit and healthy for most of our lives. In fact, today's over 50s are the fittest and healthiest in older age than at any other time in history. The stereotypical narrative about physical and cognitive decline is exactly that a stereotype that became attached to being over 50 that just isn't true. Not employing a person in their 50s or 60s today is akin to not employing someone in their 20s or 30s at the end of the 1800s or 1900s. It just doesn't make sense. And by not including older people in our workforce, we're ignoring a skilled, knowledgeable, capable, talented, healthy group of people who can make a significant contribution to businesses and they're currently being ignored, discriminated against or overlooked. Absolutely. So give us some practical ideas about how businesses can better adapt to suit that multi-generational workforce because the reality is if we're going to have people working longer um, at different stages of, of their life and their career, we're going to maybe have four, five generations in one workplace. Absolutely. And look, flexibility is key. And we've all learned flexibility very well over the last 12 to 18 months. There's a number of examples of this. Intergenerational job sharing is an enormous opportunity that certainly I don't think is harnessed often enough in the workplace. I spoke with a couple of women who actually worked for a council over in Western Australia. One was older and one was younger. Both of them wanted to work part-time. The younger woman had a young family and the older woman had adult children. So they were a great marriage in terms of doing this one job and sharing that together. And I think this intergenerational job sharing is a missed opportunity for workplaces to be better suited to both the flexibility that older people want and the flexibility that parents want, both men and women. And that provides job opportunities for sharing and flexibility. We've also seen active 
active recruitment programs for older workers by the CBA and Westpac. Bunnings is often held up as the poster organisation for recruiting older ex-tradies. There are also some other examples on the global stage. BMW in 2007 undertook some future back playing and they recognised that at that time, so 10 years hence from 2007, that the average age of their workforce would increase from 39 to 47 years old. And to plan for this, an experimental production line was set up for gearbox production staffed by older workers. And the goal was to produce as many gearboxes as the production line, to produce as many gearboxes as the production line with the younger workforce. Now, the older workers were sceptical. However, within three months, the experimental production line staffed by older workers proved successful and it produced 7% more gearboxes than the production line with younger workers. Absenteeism was halved and the line's defect rate dropped to zero. And the result was achieved through a myriad of small changes in the factory, not by any massive overhaul of systems and, and structures, better seats, new work benches that could be adjusted, etc. Now, another program introduced by Michelin Tyres was introduced and it was the Returning Retirees Program. And that's the equivalent of an alumni program. All Michelin retirees are eligible and their skills are tapped for specific short or long-term projects. Now, I've also heard of that being used by some legal firms here in Australia. So they have the equivalent of an alumni program where solicitors or partners leave the firm and they have this database of talent who understand the firm, uh, have particular skill sets and expertise in areas that they can call on for short-term or medium-term projects. So there's a few examples of how workplaces can be adopted. Yeah, they're really powerful examples. Yeah, because I think we need the proof and I think a lot of organisations might need that to feel confident to make those changes because we are going against the grain and how we how we view our workforce. Changing tack a little bit, in your ideal world, what would be the utopia of ageing well? And I guess getting a bit personal, how do you plan that next sort of 50 years of your life? Great question. I don't think there is a single utopia. You know, I'm older, I'm 56, and I have friends that are older than me that are retired, semi-retired. So there's quite a gamut of and variety in how people choose to age and live their lives later on. Some are working full-time and very active in their careers. So everyone will age differently and choose different paths. And for some, that traditional retirement is suitable for them. And for others, like me, it's not a path I'd choose. Irrespective of the choices we make as we age, though, and beyond Maslow's base hierarchy of needs of food and shelter, and that can be an issue in some areas, but I won't go down that path, There are some fundamentals that involve planning and planning is really an essential element of this that isn't discussed because people often think, oh, I'm going to retire, fantastic. I'm not going to have to wake up to an alarm clock every day and I'm not going to have to, you know, attend all those meetings and be overwhelmed by an inbox. And they finish work and discover actually that they've got an empty diary, empty calendar and a lonely inbox. So planning for this is really important. There's some essentials, physical health and well-being, probably almost you know, everyone knows, diet, exercise and meditation all play an important part in my daily life 
today and have done for many, many, many years. I have also said previously that having purpose and meaning are essential. In Japan, they don't have a word for retirement. They have ikigai, the reason for which we wake up every day. For me now, this involves my writing, speaking and consulting work. Now, I don't know how this will evolve in the future. However, I'm clear at this stage, I want to continue to contribute to changing the conversation about ageing. And lastly, and also equally important, are social connections. And this is definitely something I work at and will be mindful of as I can tend towards being a little bit introverted. I'm very happy ensconced at home reading, researching and writing with limited social contact. So I do make an effort on that on that front. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer that nobody has got to where they have in life without at least one or two or maybe more mentors. Do you have a couple that come to mind and what have they taught you? Mm, I've been asked this question before. In fact, and I've often had, well not often, occasionally had this conversation with friends. And you know, over the years, if I think about, you know, my change and how I've grown and who I am today, I'd say there's one person, my spiritual teacher, Swami Chidvalasananda, who has had the greatest impact because it's through her teachings and those of Kashmir Shaivism that I evaluate my motivations for what I do and why. Am I serving my ego or contributing to a greater good? How am I perceiving others through a lens of judgment or a lens of trust, understanding, care and kindness? Now, historically, that certainly wouldn't have been my perspective. It was all gung-ho, climb that career ladder and it was all about progression and a defined sense of success, which was probably, well, invariably what I owned and the job title. Eckhart Tolle said, don't ask what you want to do, ask what the world wants to do through you. And along these same lines, I believe Oprah Winfrey once said, universe, use me. For me, the question is, how may I serve? And in the context of my work, how may I serve people of all ages by inviting and encouraging a different conversation about ageing that enables us all to thrive and grow? And it's through this work, I believe, we'll have healthier workplaces, communities and a society. Wow, that's uh, that's not the expected answer uh, most people give me, but I think it's a very universally profound one. So thank you for sharing that. Now, let's tell us a little bit about your music taste, your book taste, or your film taste. Is there one that comes to mind that you just love and it doesn't have to be something serious? I'm often seeking something a bit different and quirky. What would it be and why? What does it mean to you? Well, it's one that's probably a bit more recent. It's Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire. And why that one? After my TEDx talk, I was staying with a friend um, in Canberra and we went back to her place and, you know, we're clinking champagne glasses and she put this on and we rocked around her house and had such a wonderful time. So, you know, that for me is a bit of a go-to in terms of motivating me, picking me up and reminding me that, hey, I'm going to be that girl on fire. Yeah, I love it. Finally, what would be your last takeaway message for us on the politics of age? I believe we can all be far greater and make a contribution to community and the world that exceeds the stereotypes and cultural narrative about age and ageing. It's up to us. So my message is to be curious, think beyond ageist assumptions and be brave in trailblazing a future for people of all ages that establishes a new narrative for today 
and for our children and grandchildren in the future. Well, there's some work for all of us to do there. So I do appreciate your insights today. And if you do want to connect further with Dr. Catherine Rickwood, there will be some details on our show notes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.